Hi, and thanks for downloading that B Word podcast. This is your beautiful bipolar host, Becky. And I'm sorry for being a day late, guys. I unfortunately had to deal with a dog fight yesterday, and that just made my emotions go all kind of wonky. So I was not in any kind of shape to do, to do podcasting yesterday, but I am feeling better today. So hopefully this goes a little bit better. Now, this is going to be kind of the first episode in a series that I have just begun. And, and I'm going to, I haven't named it or anything, but it's a series about mental illness behind bars and in jails. And I think it's an issue that we really need to focus on, you know, as a community, because yes, these people have committed crimes, but their lives are still valid. You know, they deserve care as much as any of any of us do. And I'm just trying to bring a light on that. I mean, there's been a lot of high profile cases where the where an inmate has died in custody and it's it's heartbreaking really some of these stories um that I'm going to be bringing to you. So be prepared to get a little bit pissed off. <laughs> But, um, yeah, hopefully, um, this can bring a little light to what people are going through and what's being done to help correct it. Uh, in fact, my guest today is Sheriff Ken Stolley out of Virginia Beach, and he has implemented a few programs in his jail that are designed to, you know, affect better mental health outcomes. And I'm really glad that he's doing that work. It's really good work. Now, this is actually the second time that I've recorded this. <laughs> I recorded once and I had the wrong microphone or something selected. And the entire thing just came out sounding awful. I mean, it was tinny. It was echoey. There's a ton of noise. I couldn't even make it listenable. So I'm recording it again. <laughs> So if I sound a little bit like I'm phoning it in, that's probably why, because this is the second time I've done it. But that said, here's news and reviews. I'm going to stay on topic here today and bring you a few articles regarding the treatment of mentally ill patients behind bars and in jails. And fair warning, they're disturbing. Uh, the first article comes out of Milwaukee. It's published in the Washington Post by Derek Hawkins, dated February 13th. And this is sort of continuing coverage over the death of an inmate, uh, 38-year-old Terrell Thomas, who died in his solitary confinement cell in April 2016. And of the three sheriff's employees that have been uh, found responsible for his death or are being prosecuted for his death more accurately. So the story goes like this. Terrell Thomas had, I believe, bipolar disorder, I think it said. And yes, uh, bipolar disorder. And he was being kept in the quote unquote special needs unit. And what they mean by that is more than likely solitary confinement. Because if it's one thing that somebody with mental illness needs, it's complete isolation. So he was being kept there. 
and evidently he was behaving badly in these officers' estimation, and he was using his bedding to clog the toilet and flood his cell. And so their idea was to shut off the water. Now, this article goes on to say that people in solitary confinement in this particular jail are provided with beverages only during Sunday meals, and the rest of the time they have to get their drinks from the water in their cell, from the tap in their cell. His was turned off for a week. The investigation showed that he went seven days without any liquid and lost 35 pounds before he died. And it has been classified as a homicide, and rightfully so. It is terribly sad and just, it makes me so furious. It's the second time that I've had to record record this today, and I'm still furious. And it's horrific. It's torture. Nothing short of torture. I mean, taken right out of the terrorist playbook. That's sitting there right next to waterboarding and putting hot nails and hot hot pins under your fingernails. I mean, dehydration is a horrific way to die. It's horrific. And I mean, it's it's a surprise that he lasted a whole week, honestly. So I'm glad that these particular officers are being held to account for this horrible thing that they've done. There's another article, and this one is out of Georgia. The subject of this article is Ricky Figueroa, who was a 34-year-old Army veteran. And he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder after leaving the military. Mr. Figueroa, after he got out of the Army, got a job, was doing well, and then, unfortunately, made some bad decisions, Looks like he was accused of stealing from his employer and pleaded guilty and got probation. And he was on probation until 2015 when he got arrested again for providing false information to an officer. So probably some sort of probation violation. You know, maybe they didn't he didn't tell them that he moved or something like that. It doesn't exactly say, but it could be anything. So when he was received at that county's jail, he got a mental health evaluation. He got a prescription for Zyprexa, for Effexor, and it looks like they were doing everything really well. Then a few weeks later, he was transferred to a a neighboring county jail. And when he arrived there, he asked about his medication and treatment, and he was denied it. He asked four times. Submitted for grievances, actually. So I'm sure he asked more than that. But officially, four times. And he submitted a grievance to the medical staff there, begging for his mental health treatment. Even other inmates were asking for him, saying that he needs to get this doctor. He needs his medication. And then two days after his last complaint, he was found dead it's it's indefensible and there are in this particular case in this particular case it doesn't look like 
anybody has been held accountable. There is a lawsuit currently pending, but it does not seem as though there's been any sort of legal ramification or even even an acceptance of any allegations by the by the correctional services or the med- medical staff that they hired. Um, the correctional service was MGM Correctional Service, and the healthcare um, team there was Correct Care Solutions. It's almost unthinkable that so many people, every week you can find someone, every week I find an article, somebody's found dead in a cell, somebody had mental illness, wasn't treated, and it killed them. On a slightly more hopeful note, I think, there's an article on there's an article on cbsnews.com and i think it's an ap article and it explores it explores the trump administration's response to the florida school shooting and you've probably heard some of the more trump like quotes um, or tweets about putting the shooter in a mental institution and and the quote is uh, we're going to have start. We're going to have to start talking about mental institutions. We have nothing between a prison and leaving him at his house, which we can't do anymore. Which is the kind of thing that Sheriff Sully is going to be talking about in his interview as well. There's something called diversion, and what that means is that upon arriving at the scene, the officer hopefully has the opportunity to, if it's a mentally ill patient or somebody who might be mentally ill to divert them to a hospital or to a mental facility instead of taking them to jail, which only seems like the logical thing to do to me. But there's a lack of beds, and that's part of the issue that why diversion sometimes doesn't work. And that is partly to do with an old law called IMD exclusion. And I'm getting that from the CBS article. And that exclusion bars Medicaid from paying for treatment in mental health facilities with more than 16 beds. So, I mean, 16 is nothing, right? Um, now, this exclusion was kind of lessened last year, opened a way for states to seek waivers from that policy in cases involving treatment for substance abuse no doubt, in response to the opioid epidemic. And on Monday, a spokesman said some states are pressing the the administration for similar waivers for mental health care, essentially allowing Medicaid to pay for mental health care in larger facilities. And evidently, the administration is taking a look at it, you know, um, I'm not sure who knows what that means, but it says they're, quote, actively exploring the issue. So hopefully that will, you know, get the ball rolling. I mean, there's a quote here um, by Eleanor McCants Katz, who is the Assistant Secretary of Health and Human Services for Mental Health and Substance Use. And that says, The IMD exclusion makes it very difficult for people with serious mental illness to get a bed when they need care and the 24-7 safety, security, and treatment that an inpatient facility provides. And that contributes to jails and prisons becoming a de facto mental institution in the country. And 
you know, you, that'll come up in my interview as well. And it's coming up in a lot of articles that I'm reading too, um, that there are not enough psychiatric beds in hospitals, not, not, not enough mental facilities. So part of the issue is, you know, getting those beds. And I think that if Medicaid started paying for, you know, those, those costs, it'd go a long way to opening that up to more people. I know that when people hear the term um, mental institutions, that's a terrible term, right? Nobody wants to think of mental institution. It brings up thoughts and, and memories of the 1960s and rampant use of electroshock and patients being tied to chairs and just the horrible things that legitimately did happen in old institutions and, and asylums legitimately did happen. But instead of fixing that, we just closed it down. And when we closed it down, now there's no place for a lot of people to go. Incidentally, it's about the same time that the homeless population exploded. So you can see a correlation there. Anyway, where, where was I going with that? Yeah, hopefully that the administration can do something to allow more people to get that care when they need it. Um, who knows if it would have helped, you know, in the school shooting. But hopefully, hopefully it'll help some people moving forward. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to my interview with Sheriff Ken Stoley out of Virginia Beach. And I think that it's going to be a little bit of a happier note than what I've been reading to you so far. So I hope you enjoy it. Uh, hi, Sheriff Stoley. How are you today? I'm doing fine, Rebecca. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Thank you for asking. Um, I just wanted to talk to you today a little bit about the changes that you've you've implemented in your uh, jail system there regarding mental health. Um, can you tell right. me a little bit about what you've done already? Well, we, we've done a lot. Since I've come here in 2010, uh, we started right away. I was not happy with the housing assignments that they had. Mm -hmm. I was not happy with the uh, amount of, uh, of medical mental health professionals we had to address the problem. And so we've increased by from one to four social workers. Uh, and and uh, we have uh, actually four and a half social, actually four, six social workers, two are part-time and four are full-time here working with the inmates. We moved them into a pod where we have a, a greater ability to work with them. And, and we moved the social workers in the pod with them. We okay. have, we have a, uh, we, we have, Done a lot of things with the we have a reentry program for them and in a, a, a discharged person working with them and so we have we've done a lot for the mentally ill and, and we continue to try and strive for them but we're trying to get this, the state to own up to some of the responsibility now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I noticed that you have um, some legislation that you've introduced trying to yes. get the well that would compel community service community services to uh, provide service to. Incarcerated yes. mental illness? That's correct. The, the problem that we have is I spent about a million and a half dollars. I've increased our budget dramatically on, on mental health illness, you know, the, the inmates of mental illness. 
and, and I spend about a million and a half dollars a year trying to treat them. What I find out is that the transition to the outside is not seamless. There's a lot of problems with the transition to the outside. Mm-hmm. And so they may, they may be on their meds when they get here, but by the time they're seen by the, the community service boards, they're off, they're off their meds and we have a very high recidivism rate of these inmates. And so, uh, I don't. I don't think the transition from jail to uh, outside of jail is working very well. Mm-hmm. Have you introduced any sort of pre-exit counseling or anything like that? To yeah, we have. We have reentry programs for the regular inmates. Mm-hmm. Reentry programs for the mentally ill inmates, and we have a higher success rate with those reentry programs. We have about ninety percent success rate with our with our regular uh, inmates. But I don't know what the success rate is yet for. The mentally ill program because we, the mentally ill reentry program we just started that about about three or four months ago. Oh wow! So that's pretty new. Yes, ma'am. Can I ask what you seem to be pretty proactive in the mental health area of of your work? What led you to uh, be so proactive in implementing those changes? Well, I, I served in the Senate for eighteen years, and I was on the Health and Human Resources Committee, the Senate Finance. And I became aware of the mental illness problem that when I served in that capacity. And it made me aware of what we needed to do and what we weren't doing. And so when I came over to the sheriff's office, I carried that knowledge with me. And so I, I think it was a combination of just, uh, you know, having exposed, exposure to that as a state senator and wanting to try and improve the, the results of incarceration as, as a sheriff. And so mm-hmm. I think that's what that's what uh, got me tuned into this. And I had one other question, um, right. and I'm not sure if you'll be able to answer this or not, but right. it seems like one of the um, primary problems with um, the having mentally ill people in jails is that they're getting there in the first place, that they're not routed to a hospital or some other area prior to right. being arrested. Is there anything right. that you're doing on that end, or is that kind of well, out of your scope? It's not out of my scope, but we work very closely with the police department on trying to divert some of these people from the uh, from the arrest process. But there's something called CIT, Crisis Intervention Training, and all of our deputies are, are crisis, have crisis intervention training. It's the mental health training to deal with the mentally ill. But you know, there's only so many beds available for these guys on the outside, mm-hmm. and and it's a lot more work for a police officer. It takes them off the street a lot longer to do this, to, to try and divert somebody. And so, you know, we, we try to work with the police to make it as comfortable as possible. But, the, you know, they got to transport them. They got to do the things that they need to do to, to make this work. But it, it's a lot harder to divert some of these guys because the guys that come into jail, and when I first started off as sheriff, I had about 225 people that were under psychotropic drugs. Now I have about 450 people under psychotropic drugs in the jail. Mm-hmm. And, so, and so when I first came here, there was there was a uh, uh, an effort to try and improve the CIT training, which we've done. We've got every one of our deputies is CIT CIT trained, but I think that uh, you know they haven't increased the resources for these people to be diverted. And so until they re- increase the resources, they're just not going to get diverted. In. And so right I think resources. That's a, that's a, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. I, I think it's a state funding issue. Mm-hmm. As far as getting more beds for them to go to and more facilities yeah. that they're going to be able to accept them. Yeah, well, that, that and the fact that most of these guys have worn out their welcome at home and everywhere they've gone, most of the mentally ill patients. And so their families have tried everything to deal with it and they can't deal with it anymore. The courts have tried to deal with it, they can't deal with it. So 
the jails become the provider of last resort for these mentally ill people. And so they, they are committing crimes and they, and then they, and they should be addressed. They should, we should be addressing the crimes, but mm-hmm. most of these guys would not be incarcerated as their alternative means to, to deal with their crimes. And so I think that the, the biggest problem we have right now is we have about a 95% in, uh, recidivism rate with the mentally ill that we have incarcerated here. And so that's like a death sentence to these guys. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not acceptable. What we're doing is not working. Right. So we need to, re- we need to re- reconsider what we're doing and, and uh, find something to work. And that's going to involve more treatment. It's going to involve a seamless transition to the outside of the community service boards. It's going to provide, it's going to require housing. So these people can be put in housing because these people are really throwing these people's lives away by not treating them and not providing any resources to treat them with. And so I, I, that's something I can't accept and I won't accept it. So we're going to continue fighting for trying to deal, provide additional resources for these people. That's great. Well, I certainly agree with that. Um, Can I ask as far as, continuation of medical care like medications have you found yeah. that you're able to um get them pretty seamlessly um new uh medications within the jail once that they yeah. that they may have been taking once they were on the outside yeah we have about a 92 percent compliance rate with medication with a psychotropic medication which oh. is pretty phenomenal it is and so yeah and so we, we are we're very proud of that but you know in the past we've given them two days worth of medicine throwing them out of jail when their time was up and and, and so you need to set up a meeting with the community service boards, and that's just not working out. They need more than two days' worth of drugs, and that's all we're permitted to give them. Mm. And we've, we've renegotiated a contract on that so we can give them more drugs. And, we, and we ha- we've done other things. We've set up, we set up a, a, a mental health docket in, in, in general district courts to try and uh, you know, make these people have access to the care that they need. And we set up a serious mentally ill docket in, in, in the uh, circuit court where – these people, once they go on this docket, the, the, the community service board has to come to the jail and pick them up and take them down there when they're released and, and log them in and get them service and make sure they have the medications that they need. But that's probably only 5% of the mentally ill people that are under that program. And so, you know, we got to do a lot better than that. We have 495 or about 450 people here that are mentally ill, and we probably have about 10 or 12 people that are in that program right now. Mm-hmm. So we're not, we're not doing enough to address the problem. Right. Yeah. What um, would you what do you have on tap going forward? Um, I'm assuming that if you get the funding to do it. Well, I, I think that the funding is already there because okay. we spend about a million and a half dollars. I think what happens, we spend about a million and a half dollars on private providers that aren't connected to the community service board. And so they're not being seamlessly picked up by the community service board. So okay. that's why I have that's why I have the bill that the community service board has to come into jail and treat them in there. Mm-hmm. And then, and then the, when they go out, they'll already be with the community service board. So it'll be a seamless transition. Right. I'm, I'm not sure that's going to pass this year, but that's what we need to do. We need to make sure there's a seamless transition to accomplish that. And, and, you know, the, the General Assembly recognizes there's problems with the community service boards and there's problems in the mental health delivery. They just got to get off the funding now to address it. And I think that if you take a look at, at the statute that we're amending uh, with with our bill, it talks about 2019 being a watershed year. They're, they're putting a lot more responsibility on the community service boards for dealing with the mentally ill in the community. And, and then and they're talking about funding it. So I think we're on the verge of accomplishing something good here. But, you know, I think you got to make the citizens aware of what's going on and make them aware of what's not going on because, you know, it, it's what we're not doing that's causing the problem instead of what mm-hmm. we're doing. Right. Yeah, there's no shortage of stories uh, talking about how, uh, how a mentally ill person has recently committed suicide in a jail or, or some right, other yeah. tragedy like that. 
So are you aware of some of the other uh, areas that are implementing similar things? Have you been in contact with them? Or I know uh, there's I, a... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. You go ahead. Oh, um, I was just going to bring up the program Stepping Up, and I believe that's a national initiative. Have you, are yeah, you part I think of that? That's national. Uh, well, we, we have Step Up people working in our reentry program here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think we are taking advantage of that, but I think that uh, uh, I think that uh, we, we are we are trying to take advantage. Of, we're, we're trying to find out whatever whatever works. We're trying to find out. And so in Rikers mm-hmm. got some good plans. I think Norfolk's doing. They have a mental health docket, and and other Northern Virginia has some mental health dockets. So, but you know what's happening is, is all the sheriffs are responsible for this. So the sheriffs have become the major provider of this of the mental health services in the, in the Commonwealth of Virginia, not the state. And so, you know, I, I think that it's a bad idea that the individual sheriff should decide what the mental health treatment should be. I think we should have professionals doing that. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think the community service workers need to step in and provide the mental health in the jails because they know a lot more about it than I do. And, and so, mm-hmm. we, you know, sheriffs aren't educated to provide mental health. Right. And that's so, not your, your yeah. primary function. <laughs> uh, that's right. That's right. All right. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to touch on before we uh, hang up? No, ma'am, I can't think of anything. All right. Well, I appreciate you talking with me today. I appreciate you taking the time. It's a very important issue, and you, you'll reach more people in, with your podcast than I will reach in, in a year. So I think it's very important that we get the, the media involved in this and, and get them helping us with the problem. I appreciate what you're doing. All right. Thank you so much. And thanks again to Sheriff Stoley for talking with me. I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate everything that he's doing as well for the inmates in his care down there. Actually, after I spoke with the sheriff, his office called me back and asked me to clarify a few things. So I'll go ahead and do that. There was a point that we were speaking about the National Stepping Up program. Um, That's not something that they're doing there in Virginia Beach. The Step Up program there is local um, called the Up Center. And that's what they're working through now. There is a different program called the National Stepping Up Initiative. And um, hopefully I'll have an interview on that before too long. Additionally, um, when we were speaking about the pods and how they have the the social workers in the pods with the people, those pods are basically just the housing units. Now, they also told me that they have basically shuttered the isolation units there and they only use them in case there's a communicable disease that they need to get under control. So the issues I was going over earlier with the isolation basically being used for mental health treatment is not going on there any longer, which a thumbs up. (laughs) And I also wanted to put the call out for any submissions that any of you would like to give regarding this issue if you've been incarcerated and have a mental health experience or you want to share um, what they did right, what they did wrong, or if you have a family member um, that's gone through something like that, you can email me and let me know and we can either have you on as a guest or you can share your story with me through email. Or if you have any idea um, if you have an idea of who you'd like to me to speak to, you know, let me know that as well, and I'll try to make that happen. And with that being said, you can reach me at that B word at stonefruitmedia.net, 
or on Twitter at that B word one. And I have a Facebook page. You can find that at that B word pod. And I have a Pinterest as well that you can find by searching that B word podcast. And you can find all of my previous episodes at that B word dot stonefruitmedia.net. And please do, please, please, if you have not already, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts from. I really appreciate it and it helps other people find the podcast. Or you can just, you know, tell somebody about it. Good old fashioned talking. <laughs> that helps too. And if you don't want to do any of those things, there's also a PayPal link on the website that you can use to donate if you want. Or you can just keep listening to the podcast, which is actually my favorite thing. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening, and I will talk to you next week. Bye.